Welcome back to the Get a Q podcast. My name is Brandon Hall. Today I'm pleased to be joined by Chris Bougay, who is the assistive technology specialist in his town in Northern Virginia. He's entering his 18th year uh, and his background is in speech. Chris is speaking this year in October at our MassQ fall conference as the featured keynote speaker. Chris, welcome to the Get a Q podcast. Hey, how's it going, Brandon? Thanks for having me. Great. I uh, hope you're enjoying the, uh, the last days of summer here. Uh, I am. In fact, here in uh, Northern Virginia, school starts next week. So all the teachers are back. We're in the middle of, uh, of planning and, and just we have a huge initiative starting in our neck of the woods. And it's just um, it's exciting time. right? It's always exciting at the beginning of the school year. Yeah, there's something about that fresh start, kind of like spring, uh, you know, outside it's spring, green, everything else. It feels like that for school in the fall. Uh, so it, definitely for us in education, it's an exciting time of year. Absolutely. Yeah. So, let, so you talk about, and you know, one of the, the things that you look at is inclusive practices and designing accessible education. Um, what sort of brought you to that in your career? How did you get to that um, as, a, as, a, as a chosen section in education? Yeah, so that's an excellent, excellent question. So um, something that I've learned over the years working in assistive technology, like you said, this maybe 18 years I've been working directly as that's been in my job title. Uh, I noticed this pattern of, of working with students with disabilities. We kept um, providing technology to fix a problem and we realized the problem wasn't necessarily with the student, but the design of the instruction. So it, it really pointed me to, well, okay, if we could design the instruction more inclusively and more universally, then yes, we'd still use the technology, but then it, it really benefits everybody. That's something just a pattern kept finding over and over and over again is that when we'd work with a teacher and we'd say, okay, here, here's this piece of technology. This will fix the, whatever the situation is or problem you're having uh, with the barrier that the student is experiencing. Inevitably, what teachers kept saying repeatedly over and over again is, go, well, me, this technology is not just good for this kid. Why don't I just use it for everybody? You know, yeah, that's awesome. You know, when in our district, we talk about um, decaps and things that we can do for every student, um, mm -hmm. you know, whether they're on an ed plan or not. And it sounds like that's kind of where you're coming from. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but there's this multi-tier system of support or MTSS. Uh, and people, if, if you're not familiar with it, if listeners are not familiar, it's like a, a triangle, right? And you think of these three tiers, uh, uh, one system of support or one level of support would be, or maybe the first level of support is something that's available to everybody, you know, and in one-to-one -one initiatives, like in districts that have uh, every student gets a, an iPad or a Chromebook or a laptop, uh, yeah, that, that's a, that's a, I guess a tier three, no, a tier one support. That's a tier one support that everybody gets. A tier two support would be something that a group of kid, kids get. Uh, and a tier one would be, a, or I guess a tier three, depending on how you count them, um, would be what, what an individual student gets. And what we found over the years is that that is not a static model. What the what an individual student gets, often you can apply to everybody. And as the years progress, you can use that as a strategy for thinking about how you're designing your instruction. Okay, what, what's something that a lot of individual students are getting? Okay, well, if a lot of individual students are getting these, can I apply that to everybody? Can I make that a support that is just universally available to everybody? Yeah, and, and that kind of thinking... Um looking at assistive technology, it's come so far in such a short amount of time. I think, you know, back just five years ago, um, voice recognition and voice typing, it was basically like dragon naturally speaking. And then 
that was it as far as I saw. And now it seems like it's baked into a lot of products. Um, what kinds of tools do you find that students are most successful with? Uh, well, it's based, based on their needs, I think, Brandon. And that is, uh, you know, an excellent point you bring up about uh, voice dictation. And it's such a great example of something that started out with students with uh, disabilities, right? I mean, where did voice dictation really kick off in the schools? Well, here's a student that, that cannot produce text using their, their hands or have difficulty doing that. Um, so let's give them another input modality. Let's have them uh, be able to input the text using their voice. And then now, like you said, it's just baked into products. How many people use their cell phone uh, and just hit the little record button and they do their text messages that way? Or voice typing in Google Docs, it's just baked in, like you said. Um, and I think that is just one example of something that started with student with disability and has blossomed to something that's mainstream for everybody. I mean, just, uh, I mentioned cell phones, touch screens are that way too. If you were to go back, um, I don't know, 15 years and you think, okay, we got computers in schools and kids are accessing them with this thing called a mouse, right? And if you can't access a, a computer with a mouse and a keyboard, well, then we might put this touchscreen in front of the computer so that you could access it using a touchscreen. And now we all have touchscreens in our pockets. One-to-one um, -one initiatives is another example. Who are the first kids that had a computer at their desk or back in the day where it'd be an alpha smart or a portable word processor? It was often kids with learning disabilities or vision impairments. And now we're talking about one-to-one -one initiatives for everybody. And I'll throw another one at you, Brandon, too, is um, flexible seating. You know, uh, it's happening all over the country. Teachers, general ed teachers are adopting, oh, yeah, why do we have to sit in these rows, right? Maybe we could have, like, some bouncy seats. And one. Do you have that in your neck of the woods? We do, do yeah. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's huge here. And where did it start? It was students with uh, with disabilities, occupational therapists said, hey, what if we brought these, this kid is having trouble kind of sitting in his seat. What if we gave him something to wiggle on, right? Uh, what if we give him these vestibular discs? And I could go on and on with examples where we started with disabilities, blossomed to everybody. So knowing that now, we can look at our how we design our instructions as, as general ed teachers you could look at the accommodations at the beginning of the year, right? We're here, we're at the beginning of the year. Your special ed teachers are going to be coming to general ed teachers and going, here's a list of accommodations for students in your class. You could look at those accommodations, all those things, uh, voice, voice to text, um, flexible seating, all those things started out as accommodations for students. So look at your current accommodations and go, huh, how can I apply this to everybody? And if you do that, you, are, you have a, a methodology for designing inclusively. That's really cool to think about it that way, you know, and, and, and you, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, kind of accommodations as a guide for general educators. What is sort of your, you know, to say favorite, but, you know, what's, what's one, one item that you think about and, and you're like, man, every student should be using this thing um, that, that, would, that would make their learning that much better? Yes, yes, that's a good, that's an awesome question. So, uh, some just universal supports, I think, is that any text that you're providing to students or that you're offering to students or inv inviting them to consume should be also available in a digital version. Meaning when you're only handing kids uh, text on paper, you are knowingly 
making it difficult for some students. Um, meaning, uh, I think the purveyors, um, there's, there's certain advocate groups like uh, the decoding dyslexia group, for instance, they, they kind of tout this statistic that it's one in five. One in five students have dyslexia. One in five people have dyslexia. So, but if you think about that, that's 20 percent of the population has dyslexia. So if you think of your, your classroom, 20 percent of the kids have dyslexia. But if you look at the numbers as a whole, just disability range, like how many kids with disabilities are there in a typical uh, school, usually that floats around 12 to 13 percent. So somewhere, I mean, that's total disabilities. So somewhere there's a discrepancy. There are kids that might have reading difficulties that are not identified, right? That might have dyslexia and are not identified. So if we could provide um, text in a digital format as an option for them, not saying everyone has to have it in a digital format, just that it's available if you want to consume it that way, then you could use uh, text-to-speech, which means hitting a little play button, and have that text read aloud in case you need that as a support. And maybe you don't even need it all the time. Maybe you just need it some of the time, you know? And that's another example, just tying it back to our previous conversation. <laughs> that's on our phones, right? There's a, there's a like, on a, if you have an iPhone, there's a speak select and a speak screen function that you can turn on in the accessibility features. That's a feature that um, uh, read and write, uh, there's lots of extensions, for instance, in Google, Chrome that just provide uh, text to be read out loud, and many of them are free. Most of them are free. Yeah, even uh, you know, thinking about going back to the iPhone and Apple devices, they've Apple's really done a good job making their devices and their their programs accessible. Uh, you know, you look at like I, I think about you know um, grandparents that have their iPhones and they've increased the size of the text. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just something as simple as that uh, to be able to read you know, without having to go grab glasses or with glasses, being able to read, you know, the uh, volume control and, you know, screen readers and things like that. Um, you're absolutely correct on that. And, and I think the devices have caught up to the general population, uh, finally, where we're not saying, you know, it's, this is, this is our device and this is what it does. And it's not doing anything more than that. Instead, we're at a point where we're saying, here's a device, it's accessible for lots and lots of people. Um, and we can even have, we even have add-ons to make it accessible for almost everybody. Yeah. In fact, I think there are some companies, uh, Google, Microsoft, uh, those are t two other examples where they have actually found the secret sauce where they said, you know what? Um, we get it now. If we design our tools around people with disabilities, that's a way to meet everybody's needs. Um, and in fact, Microsoft has really done a good job in the last year or so. They, they, they have, you may have seen the commercials about the accessible controller, right? Uh, for uh, their PlayStation, or for their for their Xbox controller. Right, right. Um, and, and it's like, yeah, we design it for people with disabilities. It just makes it available to, it's really a usability feature for everybody, not an accessibility for disabilities. That makes sense. Yeah, so, so tell me about a product that you're excited about that's coming out or that's on the horizon or, or something you see that, that's going to be available for educators or, or for the general public, um, some, something that you're looking forward to. Yeah. Okay. So this, that's an awesome question too. So here I, I've just kind of uh, provided this edict or this roadmap of looking at students with disabilities as a way of, and looking at accommodations as, as, as designing instruction. So what's next? Like, like what is, if, if there's something that's being used by people with disabilities that eventually becomes mainstream, then what are people with disabilities using right now that will also become mainstream? And I feel like that next thing 
is eye gaze, meaning, um, uh, in fact, I think uh, Comcast just released a, an eye gaze. They worked with Toby Dynavox, which is an augmentative uh, communication company, um, where that where users are controlling their computer systems using their eyes. And they've partnered with Toby Dynavox. Comcast has to say, can you control your TV using your eyes rather than with your with your hands, you know, um, and I feel like that might be the and, and uh, the latest version of um, iOS that's be coming out um, will also have eye gaze control, um, and so I feel like that is kind of the new breaking technology that no one was really talking about. Like there's a lot of talk about um, augmented reality and virtual reality, but I feel like eye gaze as an input system, uh, as an input methodology, is something to be looking forward to in the future. <laughs> no pun intended. Wow. Yeah, that's. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I mean, I think back, like, you know, biomechanics and, um, you know, uh, looking at using your body as part of the communication with the device. And, you know, you think about that, you know, obviously with the iPhone, the, the facial recognition and the thumbprint, uh, but going all the way back to, you know, when I was a kid, maybe you too, the Nintendo Power Glove, um, you know, like you, you, you had this, it was a, a device that you would wear on your hand and it acted as the controller. And as you moved your hand, the, you know, the, the output on the screen, you know, let's say the race car, as you moved your hand to the left, the race car would move to the left. And this is in the late eighties and early nineties. Yeah. And, and to think that we've, we're, we're, we're still developing that, those kinds of tools. And that was certainly a, a precursor to it. Um, but we're developing tools that are so futuristic now that, you know, the, the stuff that you could only imagine is actually coming coming out to market. Yeah, and it's fun. Like it's a fun time to live, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's so exciting. So, so, Brandon, I wanted to throw one other strategy out for everybody. Yeah. Again, very practical, useful one that I think makes, especially in today's contemporary ed education. Um, I think there's this movement for students to become creators, right? And certainly our neck of the woods, we talk about uh, the C's of education. We want kids to be uh, contributing. They want students to be communicators. We want students to be creative thinkers. And um, and as, they, as they're developing these skills, one, and, and, and we want them to create things, right? Uh, so as they're developing these skills and they're practicing these things, I think we have them producing more and more videos, right, as one possible way for them to express what they know. I mean, would you agree that like, well, students are making more videos today than we've ever made before? Oh, right? absolutely, 100%. So one strategy to put in place there is to, to, to design a more accessible future is to have kids right now understand that when they make a video, and maybe you have some sort of rubric that you use for, for you know, when students are making a video, to include in that rubric the, the inclusion of captions. Uh, kids, when you're making videos, make sure they're captioned. When you teachers, if you're choosing videos and if you're um, making videos on your own, make sure that you're choosing videos that are captioned, not just for students who have hearing impairments and not just for a future public uh, who have hearing impairments, but also turning the captions on helps people who have uh, reading difficulties. It helps everybody. I mean, if you've ever been in a, in a, in a pub or a, a bar or a restaurant and they have the, the, the game going on in the background and you can't really hear what the commentators are saying, it turns the captions on. You know, if you've ever been on the treadmill, you know, sometimes it's hard to, you can have the, the captions on as you're running. You know, it, it just helps everybody to have turn the captions on. So I'm a huge advocate for uh, teaching our current generation that we're responsible for teaching, having them thinking about accessibility and the stuff that they're creating and designing and captions is just an easy way to do that. Yeah. hundred the, the Apple clips app is a nice tool for that too. If you're recording that already has the captions built in, it does auto captioning as you're recording. Those are great points. Yeah. Flipgrid is, has done that now too, where Flipgrid has added 
um, some captioning and, and it's, you know, it's, I think it's still kind of new, but um, it certainly does work. And, you know, you look at that being able to, you know, sharing, have, having students record things in class and then sharing that out uh, and, and it being accessible to everybody. Um, all great points. Can you give us a little bit of a keynote preview for you? You're coming, uh, coming up to Gillette Stadium, the home of the New England Patriots, the Super Bowl champion New England Patriots, I might add. Uh, but, but you're coming up to Gillette uh, in October. Um, give us a little preview of what you're going to talk about. Yeah. So uh, when, what you can expect to, for the keynote is we're going to kick it off with an activity right out of the gate. So uh, that activity is what I like to call the like-dislike uh, continuum. And I invite five teachers, uh, five participants to come up and, and then, a, uh, another five to come up. And so we have 10 people standing in front of the room. And then I asked the, everyone in the, in the, who's participating to come up with just in our culture, what are five things just in general, we all agree we tend to like, you know? Uh, so people shout out things like we like vacations or we like, I don't know, anything. We'll see what we'll come up with, right? It's part of the fun of, of doing it together is, is what do we tend to like? And then after we do that, uh, we say, okay, what are, what are five things we tend to dislike, you know? And people say like taxes or traffic, you know, we'll see, we'll see again. What right. do people shout out when we do, when we do this? And then we order them into a, like a Likert scale or a Likert scale, you know, and people move around. And then we place uh, this word on this continuum of things that we, in, in our culture we generally like to generally we dislike. And that word, um, I ask people to think about this particular word how students, where students would put them this word on the continuum. So, and that word, Brandon, is the word school. Like, here we are at the beginning of the school year. How do, what's our culture generally feel, especially kids, and when we think specifically about the academics, not like the social part of like, oh, I get to see my friends again, or I get to sit next to that person I'm crushing on, you know, just academically, where would they put the word school on this Likert scale? And we'll have a conversation about where it shows up, you know, where kids most put it. And I'll let people think about that for themselves uh, as they come to the keynote. And then we take and then we take it from there, you know. That sounds great. I can't wait to see it. Um, and I know people here at MassQ are excited about having you come. Uh, outside of MassQ, what's coming on the horizon for you? Ah, well, uh, so what's kind of exciting is I do a podcast myself and always recording new episodes. That podcast I co-host uh, with another speech-language pathologist. Her name's Rachel Madel out in uh, California. And we do our podcast called Talking with Tech. And it's specifically for augmentative communication. So if you are uh, uh, someone who supports uh, a student that is working with augmentative communication, that podcast for you. And I got a great, a bunch of great interviews lined up with people who work in that field. So that's one. And the second thing for me is uh, there's an organization called the International Society for Technology and Education. And I got to publish a book with them uh, called The New Assistive Tech, Make Learning Awesome for All. Uh, and I just got word that um, I guess I've been working on it for a while, but uh, uh, they have asked they, they that publishing the publishing branch of that organization has never published an audiobook, and they've asked that uh, my book become the first audiobook in their library. Oh, that's so exciting. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm heading into the, the podcasting studio, which is, you know, I don't know for you, Brandon, but it, for me, it's my closet. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're going to be recording an audiobook, So that's pretty exciting. Oh, that's really cool. So so you've got a book coming out. You've got your podcast. Um, you're coming up to keynote. Is there anything you can't do? <laughs> uh, 
I don't know. I'm going to keep trying new things, right? That's what <laughs> life is all about. <laughs> all right. Well, Chris Bouguet, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, so th- the best place to find me is at chrisbouguet.com. That's Chris, B-U-G-A-J.com. All right. And on Twitter, any chance? Yeah. My Twitter handle is at ATTipsCast. So for years, I used to do another podcast called the AT Tips Cast, and I've just kept that handle forever. So it's ATTipsCast. All right. So check out Chris on Twitter. Can't wait to see you and uh, meet you in person up at MassQ in October at Gillette Stadium. Uh, Chris, thank you so much. Awesome. I'll wear my Bills, my Buffalo Bills jersey. Oh. <laughs> All right. All right. See you soon, Chris. Right. Thanks. See you, Brandon. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and anywhere podcasts can be found. This is the Get a Q Podcast from MassQ, here to educate, connect, and inspire.